the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. From the heart of New York City and the tri-state area to the most active real estate hotspots across America. Keeping you plugged in to the latest real estate market trends. From mortgage news and legal developments to everything you need to know about buying or selling a property. Benefited by the advice of the experts. Now, here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. Good morning, everyone. I'm Dottie Herman, and welcome to Iron Real Estate. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. As you most likely know, we're here every week, and we're here to talk about real estate and everything that has to do with real estate, which is just about everything. Of course, I'm joined with my show's co-host, resident and legal expert attorney Stephen Ebert, a partner at the prestigious firm Cassin & Cassin located all over the country, and of course, that's all they do is real estate. So they are really know everything that there is to know about real estate and what you need to know. Um, so let me start off by saying, first of all, I guess, good morning, Steve, and how was your, how was your Thanksgiving? It was wonderful. Thanks, Dottie. I hope you had a, a great holiday, too. I mean, Thanksgiving is the quintessential to me, you know, family American holiday, you know, love seeing the parade. You know, it's just a vibrant, great day for New York City. And everyone around the country is tuning in. And it's just a wonderful opportunity to family to come together. And it's one of those holidays where everyone sort of has that day off. And they're really focused on getting together. Um, so it's really one of my favorites. And we had a great time with family. And uh, just love the long weekend to reconnect with people. How about yourself? How was it? Well, I, I think, you know, we always spend, my family always spends Thanksgiving together. So it's my brother, sister, my kids, their kids. Now their kids have kids. Or, so, uh, And then we invite anybody that we feel is alone, you know, because I don't think anybody should have to be alone on a holiday. So... Anyone that we think is alone, we invite. And uh, it's always happy and, you know, great getting together with, you know, it's our tradition. And, of course, having the turkey and all of that. I helped my daughter cook it this this year. We, we got together two days earlier and we cooked and things of that nature, got everything ready. And, uh, hey, listen, Thanksgiving is a national holiday. And it's always on Thursday and... Uh, I think it's probably one of the biggest holidays going. I mean, and it's a happy holiday, I think. I mean, you know, it's not based on somebody's religious beliefs. I mean, I think everybody, in, okay, they celebrate Thanksgiving. A- absolutely. And, you know, it's so interesting about Thanksgiving and the turkey being the centerpiece is the turkey almost became the national bird of the United States. Um, you know, we have obviously the bald eagle, but... There was a big debate, you know, a couple hundred years ago of should it be the eagle or should it be the turkey? And and I know we think of 
the turkey and, and you know and the holiday but it's really a majestic bird and, and i'll tell you what's so funny what when i tell some clients because in addition to our office in manhattan we have an office in westchester county and we're talking 40 minutes from midtown manhattan you know the empire state building and everything in our parking lot i kid you not turkey uh dotty we have wild turkeys that this time wow. of year come into our parking lot Wow. And it's hysterical, you know, and, and our building, the outside is very reflective. And so all of a sudden the turkeys are confused and seeing their reflection and they all of a sudden they, they put forth all their feathers with all the vibrant colors. And it's really a sight to see. And, and you know, I just know it was this time of year when we see them. I know that Thanksgiving is around the corner. They're not going to be joining us for dinner. We're not going to have wild turkey in the house. But it's a reminder that the holidays you know, coming, and it's great every year. Yes, and I know we all lose track of how Thanksgiving evolved, but Thanksgiving was the first national celebration of Thanksgiving was observed in honor of the creation of the new United States Constitution. And that was in 1789 when President George Washington, that's how long we were talking about, issued a proclamation designating November 26th as the year as a day of public thanksgiving to recognize the role of creating the new United States and the new federal constitution. And then Washington, you know, called the people of the United States to acknowledge God for affording them an opportunity for peaceable to establish a form of government. And then eventually uh, Thomas Jefferson and many subsequent presidents felt that a public religious demonstration was not appropriate for a government type of holiday. And uh, it wasn't until 1863 during the Civil War that Lincoln proclaimed, okay, so Lincoln proclaimed a national Thanksgiving to be held in November, and it became a national holiday. And it's observed on the last Thursday in November, and that's uh, the origins of Thanksgiving. It's a great story, you know. And of course, look, as a lawyer, even when I'm not working, I'm working and I'm always thinking. I always like to remind people, 1789 and 1776, right? It took 13 years. And after we got our independence from the British, we didn't merely have a constitution. You know, we, always, we had a little bit of strife. We had, we had a central government that didn't quite work. And then we got our bearings and had a constitution. And, and so I, I like to associate Thanksgiving with that because that's so important for the country. And then, of course, Abe Lincoln keeping the union together. And, and those two associations, Washington and Lincoln with Thanksgiving, um, are just so important to the ethos of the country. And, and to me, it's so interconnected, the Constitution keeping yeah, the union together in Thanksgiving. And But I would today say that today most folks celebrate Thanksgiving for many reasons, and some it remains a way to express gratitude for the harvest, um, gratitude for family or a higher power. For others, it's a holiday built on simply being united as a family or in friends, in person or virtually. I guess during the pandemic we all had to do it virtually. And sharing in a special um, meal. Okay, and usually that meal is over 90% of Americans are eating a turkey on Thanksgiving. Uh, So that's just, you know, how it became uh, our tradition. 
And I think that it's really a happy holiday, and it's, you know, non-dimensional. It's just like everyone celebrates it. It's, and I think sometimes there's so many divisions now. Like I was watching something yesterday on the news, and I don't even want to listen to news anymore because it's just off the wall. But um, they were just talking about how they're trying to get rid of Christmas, okay? And well, anything that has to do with Christmas that might, okay, so they want to get rid of the colors red and green, uh, you know, and Christmas trees and things of that nature. And I thought there was a movement last year to get rid of Halloween uh, because I guess it was... Uh, you know, there was some reason, I can't remember whether it was uh, making patriots uh, to uh, Satan. I don't know. But I just think that, you know, some holidays are just holidays like Thanksgiving. There's nothing to do with what religion you are, what race you are. It's just a holiday to give thanks. T- totally and- agree, Dottie. And you know what? I, I think part of it is also give every holiday their due. And, and I think with that, you know, we want to give... So many issues that are going in the market, they're due as well. I mean, it's interesting. You know, we're seeing an adjustment in a positive way, I think, recently with interest rates and really some things that could affect first-time buyers. So to me, what ends up happening sometimes during the holidays is we'll have friends and families realize, ooh, we have an attorney (laughs) here. Time for some free advice. And some oh, things gosh. that are going on in transactions and buying a home. I, I wouldn't want to sure be you. you. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be you, Stephen, on, on those holidays. They must ask you a million things. Well, I said there's a correlation between the advice they're going to get and the quality of the sides that go with the turkey. So, you know, it was time to pony up. But I think it's a good time because I think now that we're in the holiday season – to think about some of the questions on what happens where if you want to do that first-time home purchase, the comments, the assistance, Mm. the statements of family and friends, because everyone has an opinion, Dottie. So I think if you're representing a first-time homebuyer, what do you have to hear, think about, process, and conclude at the holiday dinner table when you're buying a home? Yeah, and what should you do when there's 15 different people who are giving you 15 different pieces of advice? How do you handle that? And I, I, I'm going to assume that, you know, if you're, if you're buying a home and that's a topic that you're absolutely going to bring up, or people are going to say, oh, did you find that home yet? Are you buying a home? You know, I think, you know, in the days that I was actually selling real estate, I remember, I mean, it didn't even have to be a holiday, First of all, if people were buying homes and they were using their parents, like the parents were helping them out, a lot of times the parents came. They lived and bought a house many years ago, so whatever the prices were, they thought were way too high. Okay? Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know, Daddy, you bring up a great point when you have family involvement. One of the things that we're seeing now as the baby boomers are getting older is one of the biggest intergenerational transfers of wealth. And we all recognize that real estate is expensive. We all realize that mortgage rates are higher than they were a couple years ago. And what we're seeing right now is a trend of where family members are lending and or gifting funds to the next generation who are buying. And that's a really important trend that I think we need to talk about because it's so important to handle it the right way, to make that co-op board happy, 
to make the mortgage lender happy. And of course, it needs to be done in a tax efficient and compliant way. That's true. So what tips would you give people? So the number one issue is time. The people who wait and talk to their lawyers and talk to their accountants Monday morning after they have an accepted offer on Sunday is making a fundamental error. Time solves a lot of problems. The first thing you should do is make sure you know what you're working with. You line up your tools before you do the job. And every every buyer, especially a buyer who might be getting a gift or a loan for a family member, should talk to the attorney and to their accountant before they start shopping. So that way they know, are there going to be tax repercussions? How is that going to look at from the mortgage lender and the co-op to make sure it's packaged in the right way? Because, Dottie, once the money moves over, it has to be classified, a gift or a loan, and that could have a tax consequence. And also what happens, Dottie, is if you are going to give a loan to a family member, you got to charge interest. And the IRS each month issues a chart with the minimum required interest rate that has to be charged. Otherwise, they're going to question if it really constitutes a loan. And that's really critical. And a lot of people aren't really thinking all the way through on that because people have a nice conversation over Thanksgiving turkey. Oh, I'll help you out. And they don't take care of those details. And the details can be an absolute killer to a transaction. Well, I agree with you. So let me, let's go back, and because I think this is so important. So let's assume uh, somebody's parents, if not both, saw, you know, is going to give you some sort of a gift. Mm-hmm. Let's go through that scenario and how that would work and what things that people have to do ahead of time to, to do that. And then let's use the scenario where somebody is saying to you, listen, I can't, I'm not in a position to give you a gift but I can loan you X amount of money. Sure. So let's start with the gift side of the the equation. We'll parse that out, and then we'll go to the loan side. So number one is how much, from whom, and how often. And the tax law looks at gifting in two ways. One, there's a certain amount you can give from a person to a person each year, And if you're lucky enough to be in a situation where you have two parents giving to, let's say, a young married couple, you can multiply that by four. Two parents, two recipients, you can multiply by four for the annual exclusion. Separately, if you have two sides of the family, you can do that again, and you get another multiply by four, so you can really multiply by eight. And this time of year is a great time of year because you have a certain amount per person, per calendar year. So you can give that gift if you're so fortunate. You can do that in time for the holidays, and then you can do a second one after New Year's to really get the maximum multiplication. So but do Dottie, it before but, and after, if yeah, you, you want can, it really. You can do it each calendar year. So when we're talking about now that we're on the verge of December, you can make a gift in December 2023, gift in January 2024. That's one thing, the annual exclusion that you can do each and every year. Now, the next thing, Dottie, which is a little bit more complicated, is the lifetime gift. 
And there is a certain amount one can give in one's lifetime without triggering the gift tax. And how but, much is but that? Here's, well, here's the couple of catches, and this is very important. If you make that election, you have to disclose it in a filing when you file your annual 1040 tax return. And Dottie, if you do that, you can get around the gift tax, but it lowers the amount of the exclusion for the estate tax when the gift giver passes on. Now, if you mess this up, the person who could be hit with the tax liability is the gift giver, not the gift recipient, making true the statement, no good deed goes unpunished. So you got to make sure that the gift giver is protected and that they understand that they're not running afoul of the annual exclusion and the lifetime. And Dottie, to make it a little bit more complicated, the tax rules are going to change in a little over a year when we hit 2025, unless the Congress acts, because in 2025, the estate exemption is going to drop. So I hesitate from saying the exact dollar amount, Dottie, on the show, because everyone has a unique and personal situation, and I don't want somebody to take a dollar amount that I say on the air and say, okay, I'm guaranteed that, because maybe they did something in the past. And then maybe also they did other tax planning with their estate, certain types of trusts, and so that might also tweak things. So I don't want to say the amount on the air, but I, but it's an important point to have this conversation up front so that way you're ready to go. Just like you want to have a buyer pre-qualified for a mortgage, get them pre-qualified on the legal side before they start shopping. You know, Stephen, maybe uh, it's not... Uh for today's show, but I think in future shows we should really talk about whether people, if the laws, if it's going to change, if they should be doing things ahead. Like in other words, if you did things earlier, would they be exempt, or would it change? You know, in other words, if that's you- absolutely that's a wonderful point, and the answer is yeah, yes. With certain types of estate planning and certain types of irrevo- irrevocable trusts, you are able to lock in the higher exclusion before the federal estate tax is triggered than if you do nothing and you wait till 2025. So, Dottie, you're absolutely right. If you plan accordingly, you can take advantage of the current higher exemption um, than if you just wait. So it's a great point. Okay, and so that's really something that, again, on a future show, I hope that that I definitely want you to talk about, okay, because I think that's so important. Uh, that people know that ahead of time, and if they want to do a substantial, they they want their kids or their whoever to get some of their estate, that they might want to do it now. I know that has to be irrevocable, though, where you can't change it, but um, I think maybe in a future show we can do that. Absolutely. Because, all right. So... When you're talking about gifts, I, if I recall, and I, you know, this goes back when I was actually involved with selling and managing and all that stuff. I remember that if a person was a parent or somebody was giving you a gift, that they had to have put that in the bank a certain time ahead of time. Is that still the same or that change? Yes, yeah, so that's a great point. What you're talking about is seasoning of an asset. And so I think we're coming to a commercial break. But you're definitely right. I want to touch on seasoning and how 
tax law, mortgage lending underwriting, and how co-op boards view that and how we got to navigate those three concerns to get the best result for the client right after the break. And if you're listening, please, this can save you thousands and thousands of dollars, okay? You don't want to work and end up giving all your money to the government. So what we're going to talk about now and continuing through the year are some of those very things that are changing because we work hard and you want to see the government taking it all. We'll be right back with Steven and he'll be giving you an update on that. Hey, Joe Piscopo here. If you need a Cadillac, you got to see my good friend Bill Camastro at Gold Coast Cadillac, awarded Cadillac Dealer of the Year 27 times. Bill's team is the gold standard of customer service from start to finish. It's first class all the way. Speaking of service, are you part of the Gold Club yet? Bill takes care of you, your family, your friends with the Gold Coast Cadillac Gold Club. Sign up online at goldcoastcadillac.com for service benefits that you can share with friends and family, even if they didn't buy from Gold Coast. Gold Gold Coast is getting even bigger and better with its brand new service facility expected to be completed by early 2024. Gold Coast Cadillac in Oakhurst, New Jersey. Bill took care of me and he's going to take care of you too. Shop goldcoastcadillac.com or call Bill directly at 845-568-7336. Shop goldcoastcadillac.com or call Bill directly at 845-568-7336. This is Joe Piscopo. The following is a medical minute sponsored by my friends at InfuCare RX, a leading specialty infusion pharmacy provider for patients with complex conditions. InfuCareRx.com, improving quality of life one patient at a time. Here is Dr. Mario Vukic of Hackensack University Medical Center. Intravenous immunoglobulin can be used in those patients who are on immunosuppressive therapy, have primary immunodeficiency, or help prevent severe infection. IVIG is useful in conditions that are a result of an overactive immune system. From a neurologic point of view, it is used in conditions which result in intermittent weakness, numbness, or a combination of both, including CIDP, multifocal motor neuropathy, Guillain-Barre syndrome, dermatomyositis, and polymyositis. Recently, we have seen IVIG used in certain cases of long COVID respond positively to therapy. This Medical Minute is sponsored by InfuCareRx, and the information, comments, or views expressed by their guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of InfuCareRx. Please consult your medical professional for any medical questions, opinions, or guidance. We are proud, proud to serve, to serve our country, to serve our local communities, to wear the uniform, to be a soldier. To serve abroad, when and where duty calls. We are ready to stand with our brothers and sisters to defend, to serve, to fight. We're always ready. We're always there. We are the New York Army National Guard. Sponsored by the New York Army National Guard. The Christmas Mortgage Miracle is back and bigger than ever. For five years, the Christmas Mortgage Miracle has made it possible for you to win next year's mortgage or rent. This year, we've raised the grand prize to $18,000. To pay for next year's mortgage or rent. Increase your opportunity to win when you enter up to once per day and complete optional bonus tasks. Enter the Christmas Mortgage Miracle Sweepstakes. Visit am970theanswer.com. That's am970theanswer.com. Continuing with Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. 
We're back, and uh, right before the break, I was talking to Stephen Ebert, and we were talking about making sure that that gift tax um, is done properly because the laws are changing in 85, and you want to make sure that you don't, that you keep as much possible without giving to the government. And that's what we were talking about. But before we continue that, we have a call on the line. It's Mark from Kew Gardens. Mark? Hi, Dottie. Well, how are you? I'm great, and I'm so glad you called the Iron Real Estate. Happy holidays. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Thank you so much. I, I love your show. It's so informative. Thank you. So We love having you. So what is your question? So uh, I have some issues. I'm looking to apply to a co-op, and uh, I want to make sure I'm doing it correctly. But will it be an issue for my mortgage and co-op to get a loan instead of a gift? Hey, Mark, thanks for calling in. You know, that's such a great point because families and friends come from different means and having a mortgage and and, and a loan can definitely impact your mortgage and the co-op approval. When you're looking to get a mortgage, you have to disclose any private loans which are different than a gift. And what the bank is going to do is they're going to want to look at the terms of that private loan. And when you're getting a loan, you're going to have to pay some interest to the person lending you the money, even if it's from a family member. So the bank is going to do is they're going to modify their analysis to say, when we look at things like debt to income, we're going to look at, let's say, credit cards to repay or maybe a car loan or a student loan that money that you borrowed to help you fill in the gap for the amount that you're putting down, not covered by your mortgage, will be factored in, and the bank is going to look very closely at affordability. And it is very important that you disclose this because in your mortgage application, one of the questions that they're going to ask is, do you have any private loans? And this would constitute a private loan, so it can affect your affordability in the eyes of the the mortgage lender. Same thing is going to happen in the co-op. In the co-op board application, you have to disclose all debts, and you're going to have to list this as indebtedness and also what the repayment terms are, and they're going to look that, at that in your affordability. So it's a really important point that this get be taken care of properly. Now, something else that's really important, because the banks and the co-ops are going to look back and they're going to want to see various bank statements. So if you've had a large deposit, which would be the loan proceeds, within the last couple of statements, that's going to pop up and your lender and possibly your co-op too is going to ask for something called a letter of explanation. They sometimes use the acronym LOCKS, L-O-X, letter of explanation, which will ask them to explain what is the source of this money, repayment terms, and they're going to obviously be concerned if, let's say, that loan is only for a year or two, and do you have the ability to save to repay that back? So really important that the loan is timed correctly, disclosed correctly, and also is a factor in both getting your loan approved and that co-op board approval. Wow. So- thank, thank you so much, Stephen. You're welcome. Thanks for calling in. Yeah. 
So, Stephen, give us some more input on that because I think there's so much to know and I think a lot of people really don't really have – I mean, it's hard to keep track of all this information. That's a, You know, it's a great point, Dottie. There is so many different things to juggle and there's so many different things that are looked at. If we take a step back for a second, when it comes to being financially qualified on both the mortgage side and the co-op, they're really balancing a few different things that have different pressure points. And the way I would look at it is imagine a balloon that's partially filled up. When you push in one part, the other part has more pressure and expands. And the key items that they're going to look at is your income, your liabilities, your assets, right? And so if, let's say, you get a loan, you might have more assets, but then also your liabilities go up. What is the income coming in, but then the money going out each month? And you need to get it just right. You need to have sufficient assets because after the closing, the lender and the co-op is going to want to say, well, wait a minute. Glad that you could make it to the closing. We want to make sure that next month and the month thereafter, you have enough money of what we call post-closing liquidity. Do you have enough in personal reserves if, let's say, the stock market had a bad quarter? Let's say, unfortunately, you got fired from your job and need a new one. Do you have some money set aside to get you through that rough time period and still being able to make your your payments, that post-closing liquidity? But oh, Go ahead, Dottie. No, well, I was just going to say, we'll talk about that, but really, regardless of the law, you should have extra money whenever you take a mortgage out in case something goes wrong because something in a house always happens that you didn't expect. So you never want to cut yourself that you don't have any extra cash. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, real estate's a long-term asset, but your monthly payments are, you know, a short-term liquidity. And you never want to get too far ahead with investing in a long-term asset without having that short-term liquidity to get you through the tough times. Really important. And the banks and the co-ops are very seized on this issue, and they will need to be satisfied if your transaction is going to be successful. Stephen, I heard, again, I've heard from various uh, presidents of co-op boards that the co-ops, because they weren't selling as quickly because of all the requirements, are really going to start to kind of loosen up a little bit. It's a constant battle, you know. Uh, uh, the co-op board members have a fiduciary duty to their shareholders. And the goal is to make sure that they increase shareholder value. And so they have a tension when the market is a little bit softer. What is the tension? On the one hand, they need to make sure that the new homeowners coming in are financially qualified that they can pay their mortgages and pay the maintenance fees to the co-op. But on the other hand, contrasting that, they're doing a disservice if they make the standards too high and there's all of a sudden a lot of inventory, a lot of apartments for sale in the building, and that will lead to downward pressure and valuations. And so a good board is constantly looking at saying, what are our standards and requirements? 
are they realistic given the type of properties for sale in our building, right? I would look at a studio apartment buyer very differently than a three-bedroom buyer. And that's why, yeah, yeah, but that's why it's so important. I would say anywhere, but especially in Manhattan, that you use an attorney that is a real estate attorney, that knows the Manhattan boards, the co-op boards, they're all different, okay, and that you don't just go go in there using just anybody, okay? You really, you know, some guy that, as I said, your son-in-law who doesn't want to do it anyway, who's a matrimonial attorney, okay? So you really want to use professionals and you want to use a real estate broker that also is involved with co-ops and knows the boards and knows because they're all pretty different. That's a huge point, and this is a team. It's a symbiotic team, lawyer and broker. And this is a great example with this concern right here, Dottie, of a broker who is knowledgeable and takes the time to know the building, know the reputation of the building, and the psyche of the building, because that will help you get across the finish line, and they'll know really how to present that application and what they're looking for and what's realistic for that buyer. Absolutely. So, Stephen, what legally, I mean, because people have asked me this, what legally can a board ask you or require to ask you that is allowable by law? There's certain questions they really can't, but I guess, you know, income and things of that nature, uh, you know, obviously, just like any place, whether it's a co-op or a regular home, you should not uh, increase your spending or buy any new things at that big item tickets. But... What are some of the things that co-op boards really do look at? Yeah, so first off, let's talk about what's the criteria that they can make a decision on. And co-op boards generally have wide discretion to approve or reject an application. The key thing is fair housing. A co-op board cannot violate fair housing rules, so they can't discriminate based on race or religion, etc., um, but I know we're coming to a break, and but you know these co-op board applications. There's a lot of details to them. So what I want to do after the break, Dottie, is really break down the question that you mentioned, and really get into what are some of the things that co-op boards can or can't do for the approval, and really how they should conduct themselves during that board interview. And remember, if you don't dot the eyes right on that board application, you could be declined. So you make sure that you use a broker that has done deals with co-op boards. We'll be right back after the break in two minutes. You're listening to I Am Real Estate. I'm here with Stephen Eber. We're talking about buying, whether a co-op board or a regular residential home. The Christmas Mortgage Miracle, sponsored by our good friends at LEED, is back and bigger than ever. For six years, the Christmas Mortgage Miracle has made it possible for you to win next year's mortgage or rent. This year, our friends at Law Enforcement Against Drugs and the LEED guy, Nick DeMuro, are sponsoring the giveaway. And the grand prize total has been raised to $18,000 to pay for next year's mortgage or rent. Increase your opportunity to win when you enter 
enter up to once per day and complete optional bonus tasks. Go and like the lead Facebook page. Boom. That's the entry. Follow them on Instagram. Boom. That's the entry. Take a quick survey. And yes, boom. That's another entry. Lead gives you so many chances to enter to win. Don't miss out. Go to am970theanswer.com today and enter to win the Christmas Mortgage Miracle Sweepstakes. Sponsored by Lead Law Enforcement Against Drugs on the street and in the classroom, creating safer and healthier communities free of drugs, bullying, and violence. Hey, it's Joe Piscopo. I'd like to introduce you to the premier business in the investigative and security field in the United States today, Brosnan Risk Consultants, founded by my friend Pat Brosnan, decorated, retired NYPD detective. You must be diligent in protecting the business you worked so hard to grow, family you cherish, and the lifestyle you've achieved. Luckily, there is Brosnan Risk consultants to keep your business healthy, keep your family safe, and identify the approaching rising tide of danger and loss well before it destroys what you have built. Brosnan Risk Consultants have been protecting clients for over 25 years, operational in 45 states and over 500 cities. Don't settle for second best. Brosnan is the gold standard in investigative and security services. Call now, 800-590-2180, or go online to brosnanrisk.com, B-R-O-S-N-A-N, risk.com. My name is Imran Ansari, and I lead the Civil Litigation Division of Idala, Bertuna, and Kamins. Suffering an injury in an accident can be a life-changing experience. Whether you've been involved in a car accident, a construction site accident, a slip and fall, or injured because of someone else's negligence, we can help. Our team of experienced trial attorneys will never settle for less than what you are owed. We are always ready to go to court to fight for you and seek justice. If you have been injured because of someone else's negligence, you have legal rights and may be entitled to significant money to compensate you for your pain and suffering. Hiring the right attorney is important. The combined experience of the lawyers at Idala, Bertuna, and Kamins will be able to lead you through the personal injury lawsuit process and aggressively fight for the best result. If you or a loved one have been injured in an accident, don't delay. Call 212-486-0011, 212-486-0011, or visit us at IdalaLaw.com. Idala Bertuna, and Kamins, fighting for justice, fighting for you. Continuing with Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. We're back, and right before the break, uh, I was talking with Stephen, and we were talking about what can, if you happen to buy a co op in New York City, what can co op boards legally turn you down by, for? You know, it's a great question, Dottie, and it's amazing that co-op boards have very wide discretion. Um, Even though they're private corporations, they are required to follow all fair housing laws So they, because housing is a public accommodation. But as long as they're compliant with fair housing laws, they can turn someone down for a variety of reasons. They don't like what they do. They're concerned about their financial standing, and they can even turn them down if they don't like the sales price. So that's a really big pressure point for a lot of sellers where if you have a market where maybe there's not as much activity and if maybe they don't get quite the price that they're looking for, if the co-op thinks in their mind that the apartment should sell for more, they could reject the transaction and force the seller to put it back on the market and find a new buyer and make a new deal. 
Well, Stephen, I think that's a good point, and I think people should know that when they're buying a co-op. Because let's just assume I'm somebody, I own a co-op, and I had some kind of an emergency that I have to sell quickly. And I am willing to discount for a cash sale that would happen right away and the person would close right away. And so I come up with a price and the co-op board says, no, it's too little. Yeah, the, the, absolutely, Dottie. The co-op can say no. And this gets back to their fiduciary duty of protecting shareholder value. And the co-op can say, look, we think it should sell for a certain price per square foot, and we want to have those comps, those, compar- those comparable closings in the record books in case other people are selling or refinancing. And so it really can put the attention between the board and people who are not selling and living in the building, and it might be future sellers, to someone trying to sell right now. And there's definitely a little bit of tension when you have some softness in the market between those two constituencies in a co-op. Yeah, so understand when you buy a co-op, and remember, if you're somebody living in the building, you really don't want someone selling it so cheap because when somebody looks up comparable properties down the road and maybe you happen to be selling, those low those low sales are going to come in and bring the value down. Okay, but at the same token, if you do need to sell it quick, you, you might not be able to have the price you want to sell it at. So those are things that you should think about before you buy a co-op because that doesn't happen. You know, if you were buying a residential home, I believe you could sell it for whatever you want to sell it. Ab- ab- you're absolutely right, Dottie. So in the case of a condominium, it's generally a right of first refusal, not a rejection right. And the case, of course, a single-family home, it's whatever deal that the seller and the buyer can, can strike together. So you might be upsetting your neighbors, but if you're selling and moving out of the area, you know, it is what it is. The neighbors don't have any control what you sell it for, even if it's a low price that could affect their comps for when they sell or refinance their home. Right, and if you buy, uh, uh, if you're in a condominium, and the condo has the first right of refusal, they can't stop that offer, but they can say, "Hey, listen, we have the first right, and at that price, we've decided that we'll buy it. The the, the board, the the condominium board will buy it, and uh, then either we'll sell it or we'll keep it or we'll rent it. So it's not that you won't get your price; you might not just be able to sell it to that customer." Exactly. And in that case, the seller still gets the same amount of money and the buyer will get their deposit back, but they got to go back and start their search all over again. So it's definitely different risks and concerns that sellers and buyers can have in different circumstances. Oh, excuse me. We have uh, uh, a caller. I think, let's see, that's, we have a caller on the line, Jennifer from Weehawken, New Jersey. Morning, hey, Jennifer. Hi. Thanks for calling on Real Estate. I, oh, my God. I listen to your show every week. Thank you so much. Um, I have a question. I am um, kind of kicking around the idea of buying a home. I'm a first-time home buyer, and um, a lot of people tell me that I should get a two-family home where I can rent one side out and have it make payments. For me, but I'm not so sure because I travel a lot for work that I want to be a landlord of that second half. Would you have any recommendations on what you would do? 
Well, I can only tell you my opinion, and again, this is an individual thing that you have to kind of decide yourself. If you're a landlord, obviously, number one, you have to look at what will you do if the, if the people don't pay the rent. Okay, and depending on the state, and I can only speak for New York that I'm versed in, but I can tell you this, to get somebody out in New York can take a very long time. Stephen, I'm sure you would agree to that. Okay, so, you know, you, you have to know that um, you have to have extra cash because what happens if they don't pay their rent? You can't, the eviction process doesn't happen in one day. And if they have kids, it will even take longer. So that is a consideration. Yeah. Are, are you comfortable with people in your house? Are you comfortable with collecting rent? Who is going to manage the property? Are you going to manage it? Or are you going to have to get a, a property manager to manage it? But if you're living in the house, more than likely you'll do it. So, um, are you are you do you want are you comfortable with doing that? What if you have somebody who's not agreeable? You know, there's a lot of responsibilities. And if you add and if you said, well, I'll get a property manager, that's an additional cost. So I would look at those type of things. I think. Income-producing property, especially with rents today, is a great, great opportunity. But you have to be willing to do that, and a lot of people don't want to be landlords. I remember a caller who called in, and he had a woman that didn't pay rent. She had a couple of kids. He kept on going to court, and the judge kept on giving her more time. And he said, before you know it, he said, it was like it was months that she hadn't paid rent, and he was in the hole. So those kind of things could happen. So you have to be willing to look at the risk and then look at the rewards. If you're willing to do that, hey, your rental property could end up being your retirement plan. You know, right. Jennifer, thanks for calling. I want to add a few more points. So when you're uh, deciding between a single family and a second home, it is nice. And a lot of clients, I find, when they're getting that extra income in a second home, um, it could really help with the affordability and being able to actually make that purchase. Also, I do want to point out, to Dottie's point, yes, as a landlord, you got to be very careful with your tenant and you can have difficulty getting them out. Um, if you are a primary resident occupant of the other half of a two-family home, the courts tend to be a little bit more sympathetic because not only are you the landlord collecting rent, the idea it's well embodied is that the home is your castle. And if you have a tenant who is in the other half of your two-family home and they're being disruptive if they're not paying, the courts tend to be a bit kinder to landlords in that situation than just a regular landlord renting out um, a house separately or a condo unit. Um, you got to also be able to navigate the fine balance of you have a business relationship between your tenant who is the other half of the home, but at the same time, there's some social relationship you have with them because you are sharing the same structure. You want to be careful who's responsible for landscaping, where do you park the car in the garage versus the driveway, these sort of everyday life um, issues you have to deal with, you want to make sure that you're very clear with them. And the last point I want to mention is make sure you have an in-depth conversation with your mortgage lenders. Most mortgage lenders will, if you're financially qualified, lend up to 80% for a single family home. There are some programs for a higher level. 
But for a conventional loan, some of the mortgage lenders, because you're counting on that rental income from the other half of the house, sometimes I find the loan to value, instead of being 80%, might be 75%. So a second home could tweak your down payment a little bit versus a a single-family primary residence. But either way, definitely look at both and and find the right uh, fit for you. Yeah, that's oh, true. But Jennifer, you also, you also make sure if you're considering a second home that, you know, a, a tenant well, where, where there's income, that you ask for a credit report because I would insist on having their credit check because you don't want someone who, when you see their credit, you see that they pay late everything that they have. All their bills are paid late, things of that nature. And certainly you want to ask them if they've rented if they can give you re- letters of reference, like let's say they li- rented before. But if they've never rented, at least get, I mean, I wouldn't rent without a, 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 some kind of a credit report because I don't want to end up with a tenant who has, is a de- that I see doesn't pay bills on time. You know, Dottie, it's a great point. One of the things that you can ask for and have your attorney as your buyer's representative before signing the contract is to ask the seller's side for evidence of those payments that they paid on time for, let's say, 12 months, provide copies of maybe a bank statement, and they can what we call redact, cross out the other stuff. You don't need to know how much the seller has in their bank account, but to show when did they actually pay each month? Let me see that for a couple of months to see, to Dottie's point, are they paying on the first of the month or is it coming in the 8th, the 12th, things like that? Are they consistent or not? And if they didn't, right. if, and even and if they didn't own anything, even the way they pay their rent. Right, right. Wow. Great information. Thank you so much. Good luck. Good luck, Jennifer. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Dottie. Thanks, Stephen. You're welcome. Good luck. Those are important things to know. But I think it's a great, you know, I think if you can do it and you have the temperament and you have the, that, you know, income-producing property over time, I know so many people that I start that I, these, that's what they did for a living. And they bought homes and rented them. And, again, over time, it was, you know, they lived on their rents. Absolutely, and Dottie, exactly right. And you know it, for people who, one of the things that are so important is, and I'm thinking long-term now, right? When you have a first-time home buyer, they're not quite thinking about this. But if you project into the future, into decades, having a two-family home allows retirees to stay in place. One of the sad trends that I see is people retire, and all of a sudden they can't afford to live in a place where they live for decades, and having that rental income could make the difference of covering and maintaining the home. I think that's important. I think it's so important because you're right. Okay. Stephen, I have another question. Do you see any of your clients, because I'm reading all of these things, and they say it's home buying for young people out of the question today or they they can't buy homes and i say look if you're looking for a home maybe you compromise and and can't have all the things that you want okay uh you know but you have to get in the game i 100 percent agree owning a home is one of the biggest wealth builders and you can always come up with an excuse. I view it like sleeping in on the weekend. 
ah, what's one more hour, one more hour, and then all of a sudden the whole day is gone. Same thing. I'll rent for one more year, one more year, and all of a sudden it's years later and you have no equity. Get into the game. gives you an opportunity to save and then to move up. And really it just becomes part of not just your living experience but your retirement portfolio. It has consistently been one of the greatest wealth producers and also really gifts in the sense of wealth for families in America, home ownership. It's the way to go. I think it's still the American dream, always has been, and I think it will continue to be. We're coming to the end of an hour. We'll be back right after the news, and you won't want to miss it, with Suzanne Pollock, the writer of Entertaining for Dummies, a social strategist, and she works with entertaining. You're not going to want to miss it. The preceding hour of programming paid for by DTHY Realty Incorporated. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.